You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert, and this is a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join me in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Hi, Manufactured listeners. It's been a minute, and I guess it's life, literally, that's gotten in the way. I had a baby back in November. I'm now back at work, but it's taken me a minute to get settled. And as a result, this episode and this season is out a little later than I'd hoped for. And I'm really sorry. But here we are, and I'm so glad. To kick things off this season, I'm releasing a four-part mini-series on worker well-being. Like last season, episodes will be released every other Tuesday. But what does well-being even mean? This week's episode tackles exactly this question. My co-host this week is Manufactured co-founder Jesse Lee. We're joined by Dr. Divya Gioti and Dr. Ach Advaryu. Does Divya's name ring a bell? Well, that's probably because we talked to her back in episodes 61 and 62 about her PhD research, which was an ethnographic study of how workers experience the codes of conduct that brands put in place for their suppliers. So if you haven't listened to those, be sure to go back and check them out. Though she originally planned on being a fashion engineer or a merchandiser back home in India, she ended up a lecturer at Lancaster University instead. I'll let her tell you more about that journey. Ach is Assistant Professor of Business Economics and Public Policy at Stephen M. Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. He's also co-founder and research director at Good Business Lab. Good Business Lab is a not-for-profit labor organization. They use research to find a common ground between worker well-being and business interests. It was founded by two U.S.-based academics, one of whom is Ach, and the head of organizational development at Shahi Exports, India's largest exporter of garments, who we've also had on the show before, and that's episode 27 and 28, so be sure to go back and check that out too. I thought it would be fun to bring Divya and Ach together because they're both academics who work really closely with garment factories in India on research related to worker well-being, and yet how an economist looks at well-being is not the same as an ethnographer. Thankfully, they too were up for a good debate. Ach kicks things off by sharing a bit about Good Business Lab. There are so many entities looking at worker well-being. Why did we need another one? And how could it help suppliers take ownership of the sustainability agenda? Divya and Ach then debate, how should worker well-being be defined and measured? This episode is thanks to a collaboration with the Asia Garment Hub. The Asia Garment Hub is a one-stop shop for industry data, news, resources, and tools. It connects people and organizations from across the sector within a single vision to make it fairer, more sustainable, and more competitive. Becoming a member is free. Link for more information in the show notes. This podcast is a passion project and a labor of love. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that. Ach, let's start with you. How does an academic and an economist, no less, end up associating with the world of fashion? So my vantage point on, on fashion and on, on this global industry 
um, is, uh, has been mostly through the lens of trying to understand um, what makes workers productive in uh, low-income contexts. And that's, uh, you know, majority of my work centers around the idea that, you know, workers in low-income country contexts face special constraints and have special needs and, um, uh, you know, that they might benefit from uh, potential intervention, both from uh, the public sector, but also potentially from their employers. And so that's how I've, you know, come at the fashion industry because it's a, uh, it's an example of a, uh, a sector that uses a lot of, uh, you know, low skill labor. Um, if you look at the largest, you know, um, manufacturers of clothes around the world, um, you know, all of them use hundreds of thousands of workers to produce uh, clothing. And um, most of these workers are, are, you know, low income and, and, you know, for many, it's the first uh, kind of experience in the workplace um, in the formal sector. And so, um, you know, there's um, quite a lot that, that potentially can be delivered by firms in terms of well-being enhancing um, policies and, and um, programs. And so, uh, you know, I've come at this uh, sector with the idea that, um, you know, we can potentially test the effects of these programs and policies within the private sector and look at not only whether they can be good for workers, but also potentially good for the firms themselves. I want to turn over to Divya. And um, Divya, I know you've been on the show before, but in case people listening haven't heard that episode, could you also share a little bit about how you initially thought you would participate in the world of fashion versus you know, why you ended up entering academia instead? So I uh, entered the fashion industry uh, to become a fashion engineer. So that was where it started. Uh, it was a settlement between me and my dad who wanted me to become an engineer. And I didn't want to be an engineer in the traditional sense. So it was a fashion engineer. Um, and the plan was that I would get into the apparel industry, you know, the production side or the merchandising side. But somewhere down the journey, uh, I had certain experiences which made me really question uh, what was going on in the industry. And this is at a time in India where the conversation around sustainability in the industry or corporate social responsibility was not very mature. I would say by the end of my course, I wanted to explore um, how I could contribute into making the industry more sustainable. And I became at the time a sustainability enthusiast got into the development sector, worked with the German Development Corporation through them, you know, got into setting up uh, uh, and became a part of the founding team of Center for Responsible Business in New Delhi. And then uh, it figured that, you know, I do not really quite understand the theory behind, you know, the, the idea of sustainable business. And that's when I decided to pursue my master's. Which you then left India to go do in the UK. Um, the plan was to go back, um, you know, and continue the work I was doing. Um, but somewhere in that journey, um, uh, I would say my PhD found me. That's how I put it. And the reason for that is that all these years I had been working uh, with the presumption that, you know, I was doing good work. I was implementing all of these you know, and, and encouraging uh, factories to take up these sustainability standards and policies which were being developed by different multi-stakeholder uh, organizations by different companies. And it was during the course of my um, 
I would say my master's research that, you know, one of my respondents really got me to think as to what do these mean for workers. And that's where my PhD project uh, was kind of initiated. And that's the pursuit I'm currently on. So my PhD looked at what do, you know, how do factory workers experience CSR? And for listeners interested in learning more about that, go back and check out episode 61 when we have a whole episode dedicated to Divya and her research. And my current research, I am trying to understand the different experiences of different actors. So not just the workers, but different actors in the fashion supply chain and how do they engage with these you know, conversations of um, morality and you know, sustainable uh, fashion. So that's where I'm currently at. I want to go back to Good Business Lab. There are a lot of different stakeholders either researching or putting forward resources on how to make garment factories better places to work. And so I'm curious, what, what, in your view, differentiates Good Business Lab's work? Um, nobody does anything without actual incentives, right? Um, and a lot of the reason that we see, for example, manufacturers adopting various programs that exist, you know, um, across the fashion industry is because um, they, you know, want to maintain relationships with their buyers. And, and you know, if... Uh, H&M or, you know, Gap or who, what have you says, you know, we think this program really works. We'd like, you know, our suppliers to think about adopting it. Um, that kind of um, suggestion, to put it mildly, is um, is often what drives um, manufacturers to say, all right, I guess we're adopting this program because, you know, one of our major buyers really wants us to. And, and that relationship is valuable. Um what we're trying to argue, and I think you know, this sort of gets to um, some of the work I think that um, that uh, you all are doing through this podcast, is that manufacturers actually you know have their own agency, and and um, and what's missing in in this conversation um, largely is the idea that maybe manufacturers should be thinking about these various investments in their workers just like they are actual investments so you know if we find programs that actually change the well-being of workers those things might actually translate into benefits for manufacturing firms as well you know so for the bottom line of those uh of those firms and if we can you know create programs or you know, spread the word about programs that actually have an impact not only on workers' well-being, but also on the bottom line, then we can actually, you know, um, propagate another kind of incentive. Um, Just like there's this sort of what I'll call the arm-twisting incentive from the supply chain, um, there's also a potential economic incentive to invest in programs that are just simply good investments for the firm. Just like I, I'm going to buy a new machine and that's going to pay off for me. Um, I'm going to invest in my workers and that's going to pay off for me. Um, but how can we find those programs and spell out to firms exactly what that incentive is? That's the sort of goal of what we try to do. Um, and so in some ways, it's sort of to decouple, you know, this idea that sustainability has to come from, you know, up the supply chain down onto manufacturers. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. I think manufacturers, you know, as their own profit maximizing entities um, should take into account the kind of um, 
potential productivity enhancing effects of some of these policies. Yes, and that was why I was so keen to get you in a room together with Divya because I I think um Divya I let you jump in here but like you too share this this desire to evaluate programming around sustainability and to see sort of in a systematic way is it really having the impact that we want it to have. And equally last time we talked you talked quite a bit about the need for maybe tell me if I got it right or not but reconsidering the way that some of these things are implemented and shifting a little bit away from this top down this top down model which um has just been described is there anything you want to jump in and say divya you know um a thought which is just coming to my mind uh and this is that this this whole effort where we are trying to i mean i i i really enjoy the idea and i'm pretty i would say excited by the prospect that when something is um what we're trying to do is incentivize the manufacturers right that's that's at one level but inherent in that there is an assumption that once we incentivize them then you know um the workers would be very well taken care of and i think the question perhaps which which we need to also reflect on is is a piece of the puzzle how whatever the program that we're talking about is we is being developed in the first place i think that is a key question uh, from my point of view it doesn't matter whether it comes from the buyer or the supplier but the very design of it and how inclusive is it or not uh, from a worker perspective is is something you know which which comes to mind so i don't know what you i mean i understand that you know when you're looking at evaluation so when uh, you know kim talks uh, kim says that i was looking at evaluating i was saying that we need to examine worker experiences uh, and i think what what you're talking about is a, a complementing effort where we actually look at what those programs are doing for the factory and i think that's where we are getting to a point where there could be a perfect alignment but there could be lots of tensions whether it has impacts both on on workers lives and experiences as well as the firm's bottom line you know those things are are sort of um hypotheses that need to be evaluated and and if we evaluate them and 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 find that you know indeed uh maybe like we suspected um these you know th- th- any particular program actually does have an impact on both that then that's great and that's as you say when you know these kind of needs of workers as well as the firm kind of align or meet up um but they often don't and you know and and th- i think that's also uh, a perfectly reasonable hypothesis um to have right that certain programs might be great investments for the firm but may not actually you know meaningfully affect workers lives in, in any measurable way um and then you also might have programs that are the opposite that that you know are great for workers um but also that then don't seem to translate into anything that you know feeds into firm profits at the end of the day um so you know i i think that um I am continually surprised in both directions. Question for uh, Arch actually. Um it's actually it confused me for a while already. Um when we think about good business the interesting part is how come good business is not uh, as simple as black and white or not as straightforward as uh, 1 plus 1 equal to 2? 
And how come it becomes complicated? You see, because for years and years in history, we have NGOs, yeah. labor rights activists. We, we actually have lots of stakeholders working on this issue, workers' well-being, right? And today, we also need Absolutely. academic approaches getting involved. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that um, there's a variety of different reasons um, that might be at play. Uh, you know, the first being, I think that there is, at the same time as you, as you put it well, you said, you know, I think it makes sense for businesses, even businesses that, that maybe don't have quote unquote good intentions, um, and then that are simply out there to, to make a profit and survive and grow, um, which I think is perfectly fine and, and, a, and a, you know, a good thing uh, to do. But, uh, you know, how should those businesses view investments in workers? Uh, you know, on the one hand, it seems obvious that um, if I want to produce sustainably and, you know, I want to continue to grow, I should probably treat my workers well and invest in them so that they can be productive. Um, and on the other hand, of course, there's a trade-off because the more money I put into workers, uh, into any particular intervention or policy that that you know directly benefits my workers, um, perhaps that's money that I, that you know is is, um, is is sort of being subtracted away from my revenues, right? That that ultimately. Yeah. Um, is accruing costs for me that that shrink my profits, and in a you know industry where you know margins are you know really slim to begin with, um, a lot of employers um, manufacturers might think, hey, you know I've got very little money to spare, um, so with my one to two percent that I'm you know eking out here, um, do I want to take part of that and then invest it back into my workers um maybe i do and 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 maybe i think those are worthwhile investments but i think you know this gets to the second reason where that uh, there's a lot of uncertainty from the sort of you know firm perspective what actually works and doesn't and what should be you know a good investment and what shouldn't so uh you know i've, I've got that kind of high stakes situation where you know i have little money kicking around to begin with to invest and then i'm gonna kind of be choosy about uh about what things you know i i want to put money into and i think part of what you know we're advocating for is simply just changing the framework you know uh, obviously we want to give firms the kind of menu of things that we think work right you know if you're interested in uh skill building you know here's a few things that tend to work if you're interested in, you know, improving the uh, workplace environment, here's a few things that work. I think, like, we, we want to provide that menu um, of sort of pre-vetted things that we've gone through the, you know, ordeal of experimenting on um, so that firms don't have to. Um, but also, I think it's just to change the framework um, and say, instead of me spending my, you know, valuable margins on programs that I think, you know, my buyer would appreciate me, uh, you know, uh, adopting. Um, perhaps, you know, manufacturers should think about uh, adopting the set of programs that they think would be most valuable for them, right? And 
um, and for their workers, uh, because at the end of the day, that's who you know uh, is going to have the most information and the most um, understanding of what workers' needs might be and what things might work best in any given context. Um, that's not to say that a lot of the programs that buyers put forward are not valuable. Um, I, I just mean we need to take a critical look at at you know what's available in in the industry and figure out what might work best for any particular firm. I actually just want to pick up on Jessie's point. Um, I think she is, at one level, um, it's hitting a very structural and a systemic question, right? Why, why do we even need to talk about good business? Why do we need to have a qualifier? Why isn't business inherently good? And to that, Jessie, I would just say that I mean, the thought which comes to my mind is that this is a systemic issue. And I think it is the the structure of the industry, the way we have organized it. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a much more bigger issue. Um, but I'm just kind of to close the loop, uh, you know, linking back to Jesse's point there that I could not agree with you more. But I think that's why we are all here, right? <laughs> and reflecting on on that question. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I know I asked uh, a big question again, but... <laughs> Let let me narrow it down to our today's topic. Actually, from what Arch explains uh, and Divya, what you said, I understand in this way that can I consider there is a tension between uh, evaluation of a good business and indicators of good uh, workers' well-being. For for instance, today when we evaluate uh, if a, if a business is healthy or good, not or not, we use uh, finance, right? We use profits and we use growth. If a business grows yesterday but not growing today and even not growing tomorrow, we think, oh, it's tricky. And if the profit is very thin, we will put the, the factory or the business at a risky level that maybe no bank will, will, will lend money to, to them. So the indicators we use to evaluate good business and indicators we use to evaluate workers' well-being. I think there are conflicts. But on top of that, I think soon, I hope we are going to talk about how we evaluate workers' well-being. What are the indicators? Do we know? Do, do we have agreement in this industry to say, okay, um, rules are the indicators we should observe or watch when we talk about workers' well-being? And on top of that, do we know what 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 workers think about? And, and I think when we have answers of those questions, maybe we will know uh, if programs works or not. Yeah, I think that's such a good question, Jesse, because it's especially relevant, I think, in today's context when there's a lot of, I would say, consensus within the industry that social compliance audits, like haven't really delivered for workers. I think there's maybe less consensus about why that is, but maybe it has to do with, you know, the things that we assume uh, indicate well-being and how those then are translated or not translated into these social auditing practices. I don't know, just throwing it on the table. You know, just to answer Jesse's question, I think you know, we can get into this, into the meat of this, but I absolutely think that um, that's a great question about, you know, the metric for well-being. Um, and it's absolutely the case that there's, you know, debate about this and, you know, uncertainty over what we should 
be prioritizing in terms of actual well-being outcomes. I think that it's, as you said, it's much easier to say, you know, did profits go up or down? And it's very simple. Um, or did productivity increase or decrease? I think that that's, you know, um, uh, an, you know, a set of outcomes at the sort of firm level that everybody will agree matter for, you know, firm growth and survival. Um, but, you know, how should we think about worker uh, experiences and something I'd love to hear uh, Divya's thoughts on as well. You know, is is uh, can we just ask workers, are you satisfied? Um, should we be <laughs> taking biomarkers for their health? Um, you know, should we be uh, you know peering into their home lives and you know seeing what they are consuming and uh, what they're spending money on? Um, all of these, you know, things might be related to well-being. It's it's a much more complex animal than profits, I think, in some sense. Um, and so that that also leads to the considerable academic interest, but also, you know, the degree of uncertainty over "quote unquote" what works, because what works for one measure may not show up in another. I think the more fundamental question is, and I've been, you know, uh, I, I've heard Arch kind of, you know, refer to worker well-being, and I'm just thinking, is there a particular definition, right, of worker well-being? And if there is, then what is it? And I mean, I'm, I'm not asking you to answer it. I'm just, you know, um, kind of talking more generally at the moment that, you know, how are we defining worker well-being? Who's defining it? And this kind of, you know, touches back to uh, the key point that Jesse was saying, what are those parameters through which we define worker well-being? Because when we are saying that it is good for both, the firm matrices are clear, right? Productivity, retention, absenteeism, profits, uh, the number of, say, pieces which are being produced in a supply chain, uh, in in a factory uh, assembly line. But from a worker's perspective, what would those be? And I think the the question which comes to my mind is, how do we define it? Um, You asked me me the question, I do not have ready answers, but what I would believe is that we can evolve these matrices when we work together with the workers. So, you know, I would say, and I'm going to, you know, uh, say this, Kim, here, that this is an interesting mix that you got the two of us together, not only because of our research, uh, which is aligned, but because Arch is an economist and I'm an ethnographer. So from an assumptions paradigm, we kind of sit at two, you know, uh, quite far away, if not extreme um, uh, ends. So for me, it's very interesting, you know, when you say, okay, this is how we hypothesize and we go out there and test it. And the researcher in me is like, okay, but I mean, that that's, that's I would say, a, a paradigm of research, hugely uh, uh, valuable, but I would like to complement that with the inductive approach. So, you know, I, I would say, um, I don't think there are any easy answers to this. The thought which comes to my mind is, and, and that's the approach that, you know, I think I've been advocating for, that we, we we need to do both in parallel in a way. But we kind of start with this in-depth, uh, you know, inductive understanding of, you know, what are those parameters? What really matters for workers? Then do, you know, then build something, create a framework, go out, test it, then come back and do this. So it's really this iterative cycle, uh, which perhaps may lead us to the, answers to some of the big questions which Jesse has posed. But as of now, in my understanding and knowledge, Jesse, I don't think the answers uh, to that exist. So that's one, right? Who defines it, how it's defined? And the second question is, who is paying for it? Um, well, let me just say, you know, pause there and on, on the on the methodology or the sort of measurement of well-being. I mean, it's a great set of questions. I think, Jesse, you had mentioned, you know, this before and, and Divya, you touched on it. Um, 
it is extremely hard, I think, to, you know, have a consensus measure of well-being. Um, what we end up doing is we have a few things that we ask in most trials when we do, you know, experiments. And, you know, this, this, um, this might be in the realm of worker voice, but it also, you know, some of the other areas we work in around worker health or, um, um, you know, worker financial concerns, um, skill building, you know, uh, across a, a whole variety of different types of interventions, there are some common things that we think about. So, for example, you know, just asking workers how satisfied they are, um, uh, you know, asking them about, you know, where they would put themselves on, you know, a ladder, you know, uh, of life or, you know, some kind of subjective measure of well-being. Um, but also then, you know, those things are supplemented by measures that are specific to the studies that we're doing. So, you know, if we're changing, um, you know, worker health by trying to intervene in the workplace and supplementing iron for anemic women, say, then of course we want to be measuring, you know, you know, health related well-being in particular. So we want to, you know, maybe look at some biomarkers of, you know, um, of health in the workers. And maybe we want to ask about their overall self-rated health, et cetera. Or if we're looking at skills, we would ask about those particular skills, you know. So I think it, you know, part of it depends on the intervention, but I think it's really an open question. We have an entire project right now at GBL um, dedicated to the measurement of well-being and, and, you know, coming up with measures that actually work. And I think this kind of feeds back into what you said, because ultimately this is a, you know, kind of a combination of a of, a, of an ethnographic and a qualitative exercise along with something that matters for the quantitative. Because if you have, a, you know, a bad measure of well-being, um, you end up basically not picking up any variation when you do these trials, right? So quantitatively, you know, we run an experiment. It might have actually had substantial impacts on well-being, but if you ask the wrong question, you're not going to see that difference across the treatment and control groups. So having that right measure or measures of well-being is also incredibly important for the quantitative work. Um, so, so we're going back to basics on this and, hey, maybe we should be, you know, collaborating. Um, this would be a really cool uh, area of joint interest. My skepticism is like, as a factory manager, I can't help but think about what about all the stuff that's beyond a single firm's control? You know, these issues about price, about, you know, supplier-buyer relationships, or even government policy or cultural context. What about all that? And then shifting gears a little. <laughs> you know, well-being might mean different things in different contexts. And that what leads to satisfaction, you know, might you know, whether or not somebody is satisfied is, of course, the first question, but what leads to that satisfaction might also be different. And to me, this is sort of what brings the two of your pieces of work or research interests together, or it's maybe the common ground here. Um, anything anyone wants to add as a burning last thought? I do have a burning last thought. <laughs> I had some thoughts about uh, about the whole thing. The keywords are right now are uh, ownership, feeling secure, agency. Why? I guess because if I go to a worker, give the worker a questionnaire, for the worker, the chance is something I gave to the worker. 
he he or she doesn't own the chance. There's no ownership of the chance. It more feels like now or never. I have to say something now, otherwise I miss the chance. So the time, the form, uh, the location are decided by someone else. I think that makes me feel. Um, I just want to throw a small stone to the auditing tradition in government industry. If I'm an auditor today, I go to a factory. I go to ask the worker, "Are you happy? Do you have any issues with with the, with everything?" I think for the worker, it feels really like urged have to say something because once missed a chance, maybe never have a chance to say something. So it makes me think: Is that possible? The approach we use to solve an issue sometimes make the issue sustained, or let's say the.、Uh, The way we observe an issue sometimes interferes the result we observed. All this makes me feel it's、uh, very interesting that the good business labs work. It makes everything so so real and so yeah. That's the word、uh, grounded, grounded in the practice and grounded in the reality. That's and、right. I just want to kind of add my two burning thoughts to that. Yes, <laughs> just to say that you know this is very interesting, and I love the way you put it, Jesse, because what you're talking about is agency and voice, and essentially the acknowledgement of workers not as some abstract category, but as you know,、uh, he, I mean, it's it's about humanizing、uh, the workers, and I think to that extent, I I'm a fan of GBL's work.、Uh, you know, I've heard about how it's kind of grown. I've seen the growth trajectory, and I think it's very very uh, interesting uh, the approach that has been you know developed. I think the key takeaway for、uh, me is that it's it's fundamentally about acknowledging you know workers as. As individuals, as people, and 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 it's only then that we can, you know, really define、uh, what good is, you know, for the business and for them, and perhaps arrive at a joint、uh, articulation. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast, or sign up for the newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off the beaten path reading. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that.